Welcome to the Bridge Builder Program, an initiative of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, where we help you live your faith in the public arena. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and joining me in studio is our producer and Minnesota Catholic Conference Communications Manager, Kit Zipiniak. Hey, Kit. Hey, everyone. I hope that you're having a very blessed day. Remember that you can catch us right here every week on your favorite Catholic radio station. If you do miss an episode or just want to catch up on all of our past episodes, Check us out on mncatholic.org forward slash podcast. You can find nearly 100 episodes there. Make sure to subscribe so you can get caught up and then you won't miss any future conversations either. In today's episode, we're speaking with a Minnesota mom about her migration journey and her experience as a Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals recipient and what's being done here in Minnesota to to provide for the well-being of our immigrant brothers and sisters. In our mailbag segment, we answer a question about a bill in Minnesota that would legalize recreational marijuana use. And of course, we want to leave you with some practical tips on how you can start to put your faith into action. In our bricklayer segment, or how you can help push vaccine companies to stop using cells and material derived from aborted babies. And listeners, if you have an idea for our bricklayer segment, or maybe you just have a question about faith and politics, Send those our way and then tune in each time and see if we feature your ideas or maybe we answer your question. Send us an email at show at mncatholic.org or find us on social media. Just search for Minnesota Catholic Conference. We're now blessed to be joined on the line by Alejandra Chavez-Rivas. Alejandra is a Catholic school mom and a parishioner in the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis. She's a recent graduate of the University of St. Thomas, and she graduated with a bachelor's degree in Catholic studies and business. We are also grateful to Alejandra for her service as a committee member on the Minnesota Catholic Conference Social Concerns Committee. And the importance of those committees, for those who don't know, is that they help advise us as a staff and as bishops about important policy questions uh, that are occurring in our public arena. Alejandra is also a DACA recipient, and we'll talk a little bit more about what that means. And she's lived in the United States since her mom brought her here with her brothers when she was five years old. Today, we're speaking with her about her journey with the immigration system and the efforts in Minnesota to allow immigrants to pursue a provisional driver's license. Alejandra, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Jason. Thank you so much for having me. What is the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program? So Obama had, in June of 2012, he allowed students like me who have been living in the United States to apply for for a work permit or for legal status. And what that allowed me to have is a driver's license. I was able to apply for work and it allowed me to actually go into school as well. So for many immigrants, I think people sometimes don't realize this, that especially the undocumented folks come here to the United States. And when we talk about immigration reform, it's so imperative because uh, the reality of deportation, and that's what DACA prevents, is deportation of folks who've come here uh, as minors. It's perhaps the only country they've ever known. Tell us a little bit about your experience coming to the United States and, and the experience of the immigration system here. So I, my mom brought us right before we turned five in November of 1993, and she sought refuge in the United States, given that she could not afford to take care of three kids on her own for $20 a day, essentially. So my mom decided to migrate to the U.S. since my grandparents were here. And growing up, it was kind of hard. I just never really understood what it meant to be an American. I think it became more prevalent as I was always told by my parents, by my my mom and my grandparents, don't tell people about who you are. Make sure that you only disclose 
things that they need to know about your name and how many siblings, but never let them know where you're actually from. And I guess that never really hit home until I was 15 and I saw my classmates getting their driver's license or their work, their permit and working. And I wasn't able to get that. And so it really hit home and it was difficult to hide in the shadows, essentially. Like I, I'm here, I'm, I'm, I'm abiding, um, moral citizen who's going to school. I'm working, I'm, I'm trying to work, but I can't. Um, and I, I'm not able to get my license. So it was very difficult growing up knowing that I couldn't really share who I truly was. And I was only able to just share with my peers. I'm Alejandra and I have two siblings and I live here with my grandparents. And I couldn't really let them know why I couldn't get my license and why I couldn't work um, or why I couldn't eventually go on to college in the long term. What happened when President Obama instituted the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program? How did that, what changed for you and your family? Oh, what changed was um, I felt like I was able to slowly build roots into what I wanted for my future. I guess for the longest time, my future or my dreams have always been attainable. One of my main dreams was, unattainable dreams was to go to college and to graduate with a degree because too often I've heard get your degree, go to college, make something of yourself. And so this idea was so engraved in my mind of going to a university and graduating and knowing that I wasn't able to when I was like 17 and you're applying for college. Yeah, I got accepted, but I knew that I wasn't going to be able to afford this. After DACA was passed, I took full reign. I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but by the grace of God, I'm going to get a lawyer. I'm going to apply for DACA and as I applied for DACA and was accepted, I started getting my license and then applying at the University of St. Thomas. I didn't know how long this program was going to last, but I wanted to take full advantage um, of it while I could. And so it really opened up doors, one, for allowing me to be able to support my daughter more. Um, as a single mother, I have not received any financial support from her dad. I've been a single mom since I was pregnant. And so this DACA has really allowed me to support her, and it's also allowed me to put her in a Catholic school. Thankfully, right after college, I was able to get a full-time job, and I continued to support her at St. Agnes. Under DACA, you're able to renew your legal residency every two years, but there was a plan to phase out DACA or at least end the program. What kind of emotional turmoil or what challenges did that put you through as that conversation was proceeding? So during that time, it was 2016, I was a junior at St. Thomas, and my doc was actually up for renewal during that same year when they were spoke about phasing it out. Um, I think it was during the transition of the new president. I actually had lost my, my DACA for six months. I lost my jobs. I was currently working for and then going to school, and my daughter was going to school as well. And so I had recently lost all of my jobs and then my license. And so here I am, I live in Monticello and I commute to St. Thomas. So it's like a 45 minutes to and from, and I was devastated. I felt like I was brought to my knees um, without any way to fall back on. Luckily, I've had, I had great friends who supported me and I was able to make way, but every day I would leave my house to go to school. Yes, I drove a few months without a license, but I, I, I needed to continue my classes and then on with life. Luckily, I had my savings, but even then, it was very difficult. I would leave my house, and I'd pray to Our Lady and ask for her to cover me under her mantle, but it was 
it was a hard six months not knowing whether I'd be able to continue my sem- the semester or even the rest of my year and a half that I had at the university or how I would continue to support my daughter or my studies. We're speaking with Alejandra Chavez-Rivas. She is a member of the Minnesota Catholic Conference Social Concerns Committee, and she's a Catholic school mom and a graduate of the University of St. Thomas Catholic Studies Program. She's sharing with us a little bit today about her experiences and challenges as a migrant, the way in which the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program has benefited her. I want to talk a little bit more, Alejandra, about the driver's license issue. And you were able to, at one point, to obtain a driver's license, but since then, we've been unable here in Minnesota to pass a bill to give provisional driver's license to undocumented persons. How, how, did, how did you go about receiving one, and, and what would a driver's license be, mean to you and your, and your daughter? I went about the only way that I was able to get a license in Minnesota was after I had received my work permit, um, after I received the Social Security number that allows me to work and the legal status. It allows me to get my driver's license, and in that, like, I'm able to continue to drive to downtown Minneapolis to work or drive to St. Paul to drop off my daughter at school. It gives me the, I guess not freedom, but I'm able to abide, continue abiding with the laws of not driving without my license. I'm a cautious driver and try to be even more so since I'm, I know that my stay here isn't permanent and it's allowed me to continue um, just being able to comply with the laws. I, I, I was always fearful of getting caught, if I get caught by a cop and I don't have my license, that calls for getting deported or being detained. There's just so much ramifications. If I were to break the law, it would mean that like either my daughter stays here and I get deported or she comes with me and neither her nor I know Mexico as well as my parents do or as well as people who live actually in Mexico. It's not, I wouldn't consider it my home, but it is where I'm from. Sure, understood. Now, you've you've had some experience talking to legislators and telling them your story and why creating a driver's license for immigrants is important. Tell us about that experience. What did you feel like as you shared that story, and, and what counsel would you have for other people who go and talk to legislators about these issues? It's kind of hard. I actually had my first experience of lobbying in, I think, in Pittsburgh. So the Catholic Social Ministry Gathering of 2015 was actually in uh, Pittsburgh. And we were invited as a university student to go as a young leaders. So it's an initiative for young leaders. And I was able to lobby for the first time. It was very nerve wracking, but the fact that it opened my eyes to actually realize that the Catholic Church does so much in advocating for justice for immigrants and refugees, I had absolutely no idea. And it gives me some assurance to know that the church is right behind me. It's good knowing that I'm able to just share my story, put a face to these statistics, I suppose, and letting people know that I'm your neighbor, I'm a student, I'm a working class American who just wants to provide for her daughter. I, we, you and I have gone into legislators' office yes. and, and talked to them and shared with them, and I, th- I would just underscore your point that it is, it's amazing that we can talk about these issues and, on spreadsheets and on paper, but 
putting a story and a face to an issue is really, really important for legislators to hear. So as much as we like to say in the business, you can personalize, dramatize and humanize an issue. It's, it's always going to be important for legislators to know those stories and be able to put a human face to it. So I just applaud you and I'm and grateful for you coming forward, whether it's in the, the legislature or even on radio shows like this. I don't think sometimes our listeners might not realize the courage it takes for someone who's an undocumented immigrant to come forward publicly and tell this story and talk about that. So Alejandra, you're a real leader and we're grateful for you. Thank you. What do folks need to know about immigrants in your situation? What are some of the other challenges that you face or why is the why is there such urgency around passing immigration reform or creating provisional driver's licenses? It's our livelihood, I suppose. We came to the Minnesota or to the United States for a better life. Also, the areas of where we grow up, it's not that we don't want to leave the U.S. and go to a place that we don't know. It's There's economic re- reasons. There's also cartels who run our cities. And my grandfather, who's a farmer, it's very difficult for me to get a well-paying job in order to support my daughter down there unless you know people and they work in high society. And so I think that as Catholics, it would be, I'd encourage everybody to just get to know us, um, get to know your neighbor. Those who are sitting in your pews as Catholics, immigrants continue to grow in the Catholic Church. We seek solace in the Church, just knowing that being from Mexico, it's Catholicism is embedded in, in our faith and like who we are. We go to church on Sundays, um, and it's just something that we continue to seek even after we, we immigrate to, to a different country. Sometimes people say, well, DACA recipients and DREAMers and, and immigrants, they should just go and get in line and, and become legal citizens. What's, the, what's missing from that line of thought? It's very difficult to become a resident or a U.S. citizen in the U.S. Uh, unfortunately, we have a broken system. And if, if uh, my mother, when she tried applying for a visa over here, because she didn't own any land, she wasn't able to apply for a visitor's visa. And so, unfortunately, we had to cross, we had to walk across and run um, over the bridge, given that the U.S. would not permit her to come legally. And so, unfortunately, she took those measures um, and so it's, it's difficult. It's difficult for me to become a resident or a citizen. My daughter, when she turns 21, she would be able to apply for me. Otherwise, it's the mix of kin. Or if you decide to get married and your spouse decides to apply for you, it's just the system is hard to just say, I'm going to get in line. I've tried for over 20 years. And luckily, I've been able to have a little more support with DACA than I've had in the past. How has your Catholic faith been a support to you uh, as you've been both trying to raise a child, go to school, but also be an advocate for immigration reform? My faith has definitely molded and gotten stronger as I've started my my studies. So I, uh, before Catholic studies or before St. Thomas, I it, it was very difficult for me to actually believe that God existed. And so after I had an encounter with the Lord— he has definitely like shaped and allowed me to reflect on my life and be like, this is where you are today because of all of these trials and tribulations. You are here now so that you can continue being a voice for me. And so my faith has definitely gotten stronger in losing my license and not knowing that I could get caught by the cop or in not knowing that I would be able to attain my dream. So God has definitely been my 
my my fortress of who I, I seek refuge. He's definitely like guided me in ways that I didn't think I would ever be guided. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely it's my identity is in Christ, and it's been more um, formed um, at St. Thomas Catholic Studies as I learned more about my faith. You mentioned being under the mantle of Our Lady. In, in what ways do you think it possible that Our Lady of Guadalupe can be a cause of unity between uh, among Catholics? And th- Because there is polarization, there is a division around issues of immigration in our Catholic community, but in what ways can Our Lady bring us together under her mantle? I believe that in just going back to our, our teachings, Catholic, as Catholics, I think we believe that human rights are not privileged or licensed, granted by government or anything of that. It's the human rights. Human rights are natural rights. And so as long as, as we as Catholics go back to, hey, God has given these rights to us, and Our Lady who continues to intercede for us, if we le- seek solace in her, I, I, I'm hoping that people who see us as strangers will be a little bit more open um, as we go back to our, our Catholic teachings. I love that. That's really well said, Alejandra. I, one of the things that we try to emphasize is to think about who we are in our, in our identity. And you mentioned identity in Christ. And when we see ourselves fundamentally and first as children of God, children of the one Father, and as brothers and sisters of Christ, and then when we see um, our immigrant brothers and sisters that way, I think we'll bring be much closer along that path of unity as opposed to seeing ourselves fundamentally as American citizens and other folks as undocumented or immigrants or things like that. So I think you've hit it right on the head that who we are as human persons created in the image and likeness of God and rights bearers, rights that don't come from the government, but rights that we all share uh, by nature of our being uh, created in his image and likeness and having inestimable dignity. So thanks thanks for that. That's very well said. One final question I have for you is, what practical ways can the Church walk with and accompany immigrants such as yourself and others on their journey? What are some of the practical ways the Church has supported you? Um, lobbying, knowing that they are a leader in advocating for justice, social justice, knowing that they're hosting these Catholic social ministry gatherings um, every year, and just I think if the church can continue to contribute in discussions for immigration reform and just informing themselves of of what the person like I am going through and the difficulties and just um, just continuing of supplying like for lawyers, immigration lawyers and having sessions where we're able to go to the Catholic Church for certain resources. It, I think it, growing up, I, I don't believe I heard much of it until I started going to St. Thomas and just... As I think the year over the years, I've I've just learned more that USCCB conference does so much for for immigrants, and just making that more known, I think, would be very helpful to somebody who doesn't speak the language, and just finding ways for um, papers or documents to be accessible in Spanish or in other languages. Sure. Anything else that you'd like to leave our listeners with, Alejandra? It's comforting to know that there are Catholics who who do seek to, to get to know us more and just learning to, I guess, go back to our teachings and, hey, this is a human right. Our human rights come from God and knowing that our identity is in Christ and, and in anything else, hopefully we'll stem from there. 
Well, welcoming the stranger is one of the, it's probably the most often mentioned biblical exhortation. Welcome the stranger, the, the one site, the one that's in the Bible the most of any, any moral exhortation. So one that we need to take seriously. And you've helped us better understand that today. Alejandra Chavez-Rivas, uh, Catholic mom, St. Thomas Catholic Studies graduate, and a recipient of the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. Thanks for sharing with us today a little bit about the importance of driver's licenses, the DACA program, and the immigration journey. Thank you so much for joining the Bridge Builder Day, Alejandra. Thank you, Jason. And we'll be back in a moment with our mailbag segment. Welcome back to The Bridge Builder, where we help you connect your Catholic faith and public life. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and now it's time to jump into the mailbag to hear what comments and questions you've been sending our way. Kit, what's in this week's mailbag? Yeah, so a number of states have now legalized the recreational use of marijuana, including our neighbors over in South Dakota. Now Minnesota's legislature is considering a bill to legalize recreational marijuana. One of our listeners is really quite frustrated that our state could potentially allow this to happen. She wrote to us saying, don't politicians see the damage that this does to so many people's lives? Jason, this raises the simple question. Why are some legislators pushing to legalize recreational use of marijuana? But maybe you could also let listeners know what is the Catholic Conference doing on this issue and why is it important for Catholics to get involved on it? Well, sadly, sometimes the answer, the short answer to that question is money and power. And uh, follow the money and uh, understand the political dynamics. Uh, there's such a push among some third parties here in Minnesota that Democratic and Republican politicians are fearful that they're going to lose votes. So they need to step at the forefront of this issue uh, to make sure that third parties don't siphon away votes. But it's also a money issue in the sense that there's a ton of money to be made uh, from legalizing recreational marijuana. Um, already the tobacco companies uh, are lobbying on this, huge investors. It's it's going to be big business. It is already big business. And so the short answer to this is money. It's not about social justice. It's not about pain relief. Um, it's really about money, and that's money is what's driving the push to legalize recreational marijuana. One of the challenges is, is that the law fundamentally, we have to remind ourselves, is a teacher of morals. It, it punishes vice and promotes virtue, at least it should. And so when we allow things that are were normally considered in, in better ages vices, such as marijuana or illegal drugs, we sometimes say, you know, law is downstream of culture, but sometimes law is upstream of culture, too. And we've seen in places such as Colorado and other states that marijuana use is becoming normalized among populations and folks who even a few years prior, when it was illegal, wouldn't have thought uh, about touching the stuff. So do we want to create another recreational drug that will have a host of negative consequences? What kind of negative consequences may it have? We know that other forms of addiction are exacerbated when marijuana is legalized. Opioid addiction has gone up 23% in one state in which marijuana has been legalized. So to the extent that it's often a gateway drug, it's harmful to those who already have addictive personalities or suffer from addiction. We know chemically this is not your father's marijuana, so to speak, that the marijuana that's being produced and sold today is, has far higher chemical content uh, and narcotic content than another than just sort of your average street drug that used to be the case roaming around high schools and colleges and things like that in years past. So what's really being proposed, for those who don't know, is that we create a, a business framework. When things are illegal, 
you have to make them legal by creating a legal framework for them to operate. And so that's what the proposals seek to do is to, to they quote, we're going to regulate it, they say. But what you're doing is you're creating a business framework for the industry to grow, um, to have its contracts honored and to be recognized in law. And so, again, it's really a mon- th- money is driving a lot of this conversation. Uh, we think it's going to be harmful to young people, especially g- going to create more addiction problems. Uh, we know its impact just from experience on people's brain and their not just their brain function, but also their energy and their ambition, so to speak. That's well documented. Uh, but it's going to be uh, create a host of harmful consequences that uh, our state is going to be dealing with over the long haul. It's not a budget fix. You know, we we can regulate it and then get tax revenue, they say. Then we can plug holes in the budget. Well, we can't plug holes in the budget by creating longer-term problems. And so it's it's really, do we want to create another big tobacco? And one objection is, well, it's far less dangerous than alcohol. Well, that's that's up for debate. But the point is, is like even though alcohol has a host of problems itself, but it's a socially acceptable drug one might one say, but do we need to create more of these things? <laughs> That's, I think, the, the key question is, do we need to create more addictive and more challenging uh, drugs and make them available widely uh, through another distribution chain like Big Tobacco uh, that wants to get involved in this? And what consequences will that have? So traffic deaths are up in Colorado, for example. I mean, there's just a whole host of them that we can get into. Um, one great way is the Minnesota Catholic Conference builds out its advocacy on that. In the meantime, there's a group called Smart Approaches to Marijuana. It's a national group. You can find them on the internet. They have a plethora of studies about marijuana usage and why it's challenging, why it does not promote social justice, why we can decouple conversations around decriminalization of small amounts of possession and not throw people in jail for having small amounts of drugs uh, as opposed to a going after the dealers and going after the business. That website, Smart Approaches to Marijuana, I encourage people to check it out. But look, check out the Catholic Advocacy Network. Minnesota Catholic Conference will be strongly opposing efforts to legalize recreational marijuana here in Minnesota during this session. Thanks, Jason. And listeners, if you want more information on Smart Approaches to Marijuana, we actually have a great past episode in our podcast archive with that group. So go ahead and check that out on mncatholic.org slash podcast. And Jason, before we go, we want to leave listeners with some practical ways that they can start taking action to build that bridge between faith and politics. What do you have this week? Well, as our nation and the world moves forward with vaccinations for COVID-19, it continues to be extremely important for Catholics to make their voices heard in support of ethically produced vaccines. We encourage you to take a few minutes to send a letter to the companies producing those vaccines. The U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops it has provided template letters you can print off, sign, and mail to several leading companies asking them to end their reliance on the use of cells and cell lines obtained from abortion, whether in the creation, testing, or other phase of vaccine development. There's also a letter thanking Sanofi Pasteur, the pharmaceutical company, for the positive steps they've taken in this regard and encouraging them to continue in this direction. Though the Vatican has said that it's permissible for Catholics to use and receive covid vaccinations, because most of them uh, have some connection to abortion, Um, that cooperation with evil is remote and it's permissible, but we still have a duty to encourage these pharmaceutical companies to create ethically sourced vaccines. We have each of those letters you can send at our Catholic Advocacy Network Action Center. Go to mncatholic.org slash action center and then click on act now. 
We also want to quickly remind all our listeners to make sure to get your tickets for Catholics at the Capitol. You won't want to miss this incredible day filled with prayer, education, and advocacy. We're going to be talking about immigrant driver's license this year. We have Archbishop Jose Gomez from the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. He's coming to be one of our speakers, and we'll be talking about the importance of being advocates for our migrant brothers and sisters. New this year, we're going to be bringing Christ to the Capitol. We'll have a Eucharistic procession from the cathedral to the Capitol to bless the state and to pray for our elected officials. Don't miss this amazing day to be formed in the faith, informed on the issues, and to go out and transform our state by advocating for life and dignity. This year, we're on mission for life and dignity in St. Paul, April 15th. Get your tickets at catholicsatthecapitol.org. That's all the time we have for today. For everyone listening on our podcast apps, make sure to follow or subscribe so that you always know when a new episode comes out. Let us know what you thought of today's episode. Share your ideas to the Bricklayer segment or send us your questions for the mailbag. You can leave us a comment on the podcast episode, connect with us on social media, or email us at show at mncatholic.org. Thanks for tuning in today to The Bridge Builder. We'll be back again next week with another great guest, more of your comments and questions, and a new way for you to build bridges between faith and public life. I'm Jason Atkins, and for Kit Sapiniak of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, thanks for listening, and have a blessed day. 